over the last few weeks. I've been talking about how we live from our heart. And uh, really, what I'm talking about here in this, in this uh, series called Grow, we could go to that first slide there, Jude. Um, growing me, uh, I'm talking about God doing something on the inner world of who we are, deep down on the inside, you know, how we are formed, how we are shaped, that God begins to do something in us, which means we have a part to play. We've got to open up our lives and say, God, come and do a work in me if we want to grow and mature in Him. And so we live from the inside out. And really what I've been talking about over here is, is a life that is deeply connected to the Holy Spirit. Because the only way you're going to really uh, experience God's working in your life in a deep, uh, formative way is if you connect to Him, if you connect to the person of the Holy Spirit. Because it's not just going to happen. Change doesn't just happen. Something's got to get that going. Something's got to trigger it. And so we've got to actually create that room, make that space to be connected to the Spirit of God. And it requires diligence. It requires taking those small little steps that are going to lead to Christ-likeness. God says this in the Scriptures. He says, be holy like I am holy. Jesus says, follow me. Be like me. Become Christ-like. And so that means that every one of us, if we're serious about our walk with God, we have to be diligent in putting those spiritual practices into place in our life where we're spending time in prayer, where we're reading the Scripture, letting that fill us and flow out of us, where we're seeking God, where we're taking a step of faith to, to, like the gifts of the Spirit, to say, God, I'm trusting you for this gift because I see this person needs healing, and I want to touch them, and I pray, God, that you'd use me as a vessel to heal this person. I want to see that kind of stuff happening in our church, but it means we, we have to take that step. We've got to be diligent in that. It means we've got to be in community on a regular basis with other believers. It means that we actually have to, to think about this thing of fasting. So many Christians know about fasting, but we never actually engage in it. We actually have to say, Lord, I'm going to take a step because I'm serious about this. I'm going to fast. So it's all of those small little steps that move us in the journey towards Christ-likeness. But what I've been talking about over here also requires that we slow down, that we make room in our lives, that we create some space in our lives and allow God to do that work of inner transformation. If we are just caught up in the rat race of life and it's every day, bang, 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 every week, bang, 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 and we're never slowing down to be aware of what's happening on the inside here, of what we're feeling, of what we're seeing, of what we're experiencing, of not pressing into God and saying, God, come and work deep within me, then very little change is going to come. And God is wanting to change our character. God is wanting to shape us and form us into His image and His likeness to, for us to be like Him. So we have to slow down. Because the way we live our our lives right now, the way we live in this world and, and how you're going to live next week or next month is almost totally a result of what's going on in the, on the inside, of what we have become in the depths of our being, of, of, of what's going on in our spirit, in the area of our will, in our mind, in our, in our heart. Because it's out of here that we interpret what's going on around us. That's how we understand our world, how we interpret our reality. It's from inside here that we make our choices. It's from inside here that determines how we act or how we react. It's how we live our life. 
You know, when you get into a rage over something and it's really just a little thing, you should stop and slow down and say, what is going on? Because it's coming out of here. So it's out of here that we understand what's happening around us. And when we slow down and we say, God, come and work on the inside of me, when we let the activity of God take place in our lives, then God begins to form us and shape us in his image. And I'll tell you what, when you press into God in that way, it'll unleash the power of the Holy Spirit in you, and it's going to change the shape of your journey in God. It's probably going to put you on a very different path. A lot of Christian folk these days, boring, I'm a Christian, yes, but it's just so boring, nothing's really changing. Oh, look at that, like Dory the fish, remember, getting distracted by all those things in life. And God's going, I've got so much for you, I just want you to press in, because I'm going to unleash the, the, the person of the Holy Spirit in your life, the power and the presence of the Spirit in your life, and your journey with me is going to be phenomenally different. Hallelujah. So, what we're going to do today, because we're talking about some deep stuff, and I want to, just a little bit like last week, I want to touch on some things that can really affect us on the inside. And I've got about a couple of more weeks to, to, to do this series, and so what I'm doing is I've, I've just been going deeper and deeper to touch kind of some raw nerves, hopefully, and then we're going to lift out, and we're going to say, God, how's the path? And we're going to talk about a couple of things that we can um, uh, ask God to do in our lives and to help us in our own spiritual practices and disciplines. So, um, you know, when I get nervous, I go, my mouth dries up. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into it. Father, I just thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that no seed that you want to sow this morning is going to be taken by the enemy and put into a rocky place. But I pray, God, that the seed of your word this morning is going to fall into fertile places that's going to help us grow and mature in you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So what I want to talk about this morning is this. Grief and loss. Grief and loss. Grief normally comes from loss. And grief and loss are usually very painful. Um, It causes sorrow, it causes sadness. But this can also be something that when it happens in our life, if we surrender that to God, when we are going through that, God can use it. God can use grief and loss to grow us and to enlarge our heart, enlarge our souls. And it's quite important because... You may not realize this, but pretty much from the moment that we're born, we experience loss, don't we? I mean, you won't remember, but when you left your mother's womb, you you experienced a loss. Suddenly you were out there, in the open space, in the open air, from that safe little environment. You probably started your life crying. Anybody start their life crying this morning? I know I did. I know both my boys did because I was there when they were born. And they both, that was the way they started their life. Um, And, you know, as we travel through life, we continue to experience the, the, the loss and the grief that comes with life. And one day, we all know that we're gonna we're gonna lose everything. 
Every one of us is heading towards a moment where we will have left behind all of our friendships, all of our relationships. We will have left our earthly life behind, Hallelujah. all of our possessions, all of our achievements. Yeah? And we, we, we will pretty much stand in a place of having been stripped of everything before God. And, 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 and I like the fact that you say hallelujah, Glenn. But so often when we experience this and stuff in life, we don't know how to navigate it. And, and we start to go down a different path because when loss comes, those questions come. And sometimes there's not enough answers to those questions. And we blame ourselves. We blame God. I think I wrote a little bit about that in this last week's um, newsletter. But really, all of life involves going through loss. And there, each stage of life is different. Um, and we will all probably experience loss and grief in a different way. But nobody is exempt. And so it's a critical issue for spiritual maturity. It's a critical issue for discipleship. And you know, grief and loss are all the way through this book. It's there all, all the time. And so I think it's really important for us, if we're going to be a healthy church, that we talk about the issue of grief and loss, and we allow God to grow us when we hit that stuff in our lives. Let, let Him enlarge us from the inside, because when we allow God to go, the activity of God to take place, when we're going through that, and we allow God to begin to work, you know what it's going to do? It's going to lead you to a place of maturity in God, and it's going to bring wholeness in your life. It'll bring depth to your life. It's going to give you an ability to really engage in life. You really experience a freedom in life. And so what we've got to do is we've got to say, God, let me let go of the things that I need to let go of in my life so that God can do that work on the inside and grow us and enlarge our hearts and souls. Now, we're all different, right? We're all wired differently. Many of us come from different cultural, cultural backgrounds. We, many of us have come from different countries. and Not one of us here is the same this morning. You're not even in your own family are the members of your family the same. Every one of us is different. And so we all have a different way of looking at things, of perceiving things. We all have a different way of dealing with things, including grief and loss. But the challenge for us as the family of God is to ask ourselves, when, I, when this happens to me, how do I do it God's way? How do, I, how do I navigate through this biblically? Because there is a biblical way to deal or to engage with grief and loss. That's why when you read the book of Psalms, two-thirds of the book of Psalms are griefs or laments to the Lord. The book of Jeremiah is filled with grief and lament. To, to, the, to the Lord. Have you, any of you ever read the book of Job? You should go read it, right? Because Job is a story about him struggling with his grief that has come because of loss. And you know, in Jesus himself, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he, 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 he said those words, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And so it's a biblical theme. Even Jesus had to deal with grief and loss. And I think, in fact, if we really want to understand it, we should go and look at how he, he dealt with it. Because not only was he divine, but he was also fully human. Not only God, but fully human. And so if Jesus had to deal with grief and loss, then that's probably the best person to go to for instruction on how we should deal with this. And so what I want to do is I want to pull out a passage of Scripture over here this morning and look at how Jesus had to deal with 
um, grief and loss. And we're going to go to Matthew chapter 26, um, verses uh, 34 through to 46. And this is with Jesus going uh, into the Garden of Gethsemane with the disciples. Um, and so they're going into the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus says to his disciples, he says, Hey guys, I want you to sit over here for a while because I'm going to, I'm going to go um, ahead or over there and I'm going to pray. And he says, Peter, James, John, will you come with me? And he moves on a little bit. And Matthew says that he be, Jesus began to be grieved and agitated. And then he says to Peter and presumably James and John, and he says, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death, he says. And he says, just, just remain here and, and, and please just stay awake with me. And then he goes a little bit further in the garden and he falls to the ground. It says he threw himself on the ground and he prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this pass. I, I, don't, I don't want to do this. Let this cup pass from me because I don't really want to do this. But you know what? Not what I want, what you want. What you want. And so Jesus spends some time praying and then he gets up and comes back to the disciples, he finds them sleeping. And he says to Peter, you, you, you couldn't stay awake just, guys, for one hour? Just, you couldn't just for an hour? And he says, come on, stay awake and pray with me that, that you may not come into that time of trial. I know the Spirit is willing, but I also know that your flesh is weak, but come on. And then Jesus goes away for a second time and he prays, very similar to what he prays the first time around. He says, Father, this, if this cannot pass, unless I drink it, then okay, your will be done. But really, what I'm, what I'm asking you, Father, is, is this the only way? Is there not another way? And then he comes to an end of the time of praying, and he, he comes again to the guys and finds them sleeping. It says their eyes were heavy. And so leaving them again, he goes away, and for a third time he goes and prays the same words. Father, let this cup pass from me. Let it, I, don't really want, I really, don't want to really engage in this, God, but your will be done, not mine. And he comes back to the disciples and he says, are you still, are you still sleeping, taking your rest? Guys, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's, let's get going. My betrayer, my betrayer is here. I just want to look at a couple of words here and pull them out from like verse 37. Jesus says, that he began to be grieved and agitated. Um, Matthew says that Jesus said, Jesus became grieved and agitated. That word grieve basically means to feel intense sorrow. It means to be greatly distressed. And so the picture that we're seeing here of Jesus in the garden is that he is really struggling. He's sorrowful. He's distressed. He's troubled. He's sad. He's anguished. In verse 38, Jesus said, my soul is deeply grieved, even to the point of death. He's in such anguish here and so overwhelmed. There's such a heaviness on him that, that Matthew tells us in verse 39 that Jesus fell to the ground and he began to pray. And you know, I just want to say that your physical position, your posture in prayer before God tells you something about what's happening on the inside of you. You know, if, 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 you, if, you, if you're like Jesus, who's flat out on the ground in anguish, 
praying earnestly. That tells you about something that's going on on the inside, doesn't it? It tells you something if somebody's standing there. It tells you about what's going on on the inside. Or if they're kneeling on the ground. Or if they're half awake in their prayer. Your posture really tells you, you know, if you're slouching or if you're like really seeking God, it tells you something about what's going on on the inside, how real it is. And Jesus is here flat down on the ground and he's in prayer. He's crying out to his Father. He's broken. He's empty. He's got nothing to hold on to but the Father at this point. And you know, it's really interesting because Luke expands on what Matthew has to say. In Luke 22, this is what Luke says about what was going on. Luke tells us that in his anguish, he prayed more earnestly. So Jesus just enters into this time of intense prayer. And Luke says this, he says, His sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. The, the, the expert people who've studied this say, that his capillaries were bursting, that the blood vessels that, that, we, that you know, we all have, you know, I'm no medical person, but that help circulate the blood around our body, they say that his capillaries were bursting. The loss and the grief were so intense for Jesus that he's lying on the ground and, and like beads of sweat was like beads of blood that were coming out of him. Have you, have you ever been overwhelmed to the point that you're just on the ground. It's just, it's just been so overbearing that you've, you're on the ground, you're flat, you're flat, you've got nothing left. Jesus knew what the Father's desire was. He knew what, what he was about to experience. He knew that he was going to be cut off from the Father. Jesus knew that he was going to experience and taste hell itself. That he was going to bear the weight of God's judgment for all sin. He knew what he would have to endure. I don't know if you've ever really thought about that. You know, every sin ever committed in human history. Can, can you just imagine in the realm opening up every corruption, every sin, every wrongdoing Jesus took upon himself? Just in physical human terms. If you think about things like genocide. If you think about things like the war in Ukraine that's going on right now, innocent lives being taken, people being sent to their death. If you think of things like incest or rape or murder, war, you know, you can just add to that list. And not only is Jesus going to take that upon himself, not only the sin of the world, but he's going to take the judgment of that on himself as well. If somebody murders someone, We'll stand up as a society and say, that's wrong. Justice has got to be done. And Jesus takes that upon himself. Jesus is looking at this cup in front of him, this grief and this loss, and he's overwhelmed with anguish, and he's crying out to God. And he knows his friends are going to desert him. The disciples are going to desert him. He knows that his family is going to leave him. The nation of Israel, the nation that God loves, the nation that Jesus came to, are going to desert him. In fact, the world that he loves is going to crucify him. He came into this world because he loves the world so much, they were going to crucify him in the name of God, who he is. Have you ever thought about this? And you know the heaviest thing about this? is that Jesus doesn't want to do it. He wants to avoid it. He's like, is there no other way? 
Is there no other way? That's what he's doing. He's saying, is there another plan? Is there another option? God, your will be done in some other way? Is it, is it possible? Or do I really have to drink this cup? That's what Jesus is saying. If it's possible, if it's possible. He asks the Father three times. Prostrate, in prayer, crying out. Is it possible for another way? And it's very interesting to me, you know, because so often, as Christians, <laughs> we think Jesus is there to be a magic genie. God's there to, you know, just solve the problems, to give us health, wealth, prosperity, to move all the bad things away. Thank you, God. Just take all the bad things away. But this passage here shoots all of that down. Jesus does not get a yes to his prayer. Doesn't get a yes to his request. Basically, the Father says, this is my will for you. You will need to drink this cup. You are going to need to do this. And Jesus responds, okay, Father, not my will, but yours be done. You know, if you think a miracle is getting your own way, or if you think a miracle um, is going to play out in a certain way or look a certain way, this passage of Scripture shows that that might not be true. Because Jesus is fully human, but he's also fully God, and he's teaching us here about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so I want to just talk about two little things this morning, two little things that maybe we could take note of this morning. The first is listening to the interruption of the grief, and the second is learning how to fall. So this is the first point that I want to talk to, listening to the interruption. This was an interruption for Jesus. This is an interruption to his life. And, and you know, that's the thing about loss. Every time we experience significant loss and then we have to go through the grief that comes with it, it's not what we were planning for, not what we were expecting. It's unexpected. And it brings an interruption to the course of the way things normally are. I mean, you're going to get up tomorrow morning and you're going to have plans for your day, plans for your week. You know, you're going to have things to do, places to go, people to see, you know, things to get on with. And I guarantee you that tomorrow when you get up, you're not going to plan suffering into your diary or your schedule, your calendar. You're not going to plan grief and loss into it. It's unplanned. It just comes. It's unexpected. And, and loss and the grief that comes with it comes in many forms, doesn't it? Many forms. Everything from the death of somebody that we love so dearly to a divorce or a separation or a, a breakup of a relationship and there's just no hope ever of that relationship ever being restored to an illness, to a diagnosis, a medical diagnosis, to a crushing disappointment in your life, to a betrayal, to an affair, to abuse, to failures in life, bad choices, painful memories. All of those are forms of loss. And all too often we have a tendency to just carry those losses and not deal with them in a biblical way, not deal with them properly. And so we'll try and manage it in our own strength or in our own smarts or intelligence. We'll try and see what we can do or we'll self-medicate in some way to try and cope with it. I think that's why we love addictions, don't we? From you know, sugar to shopping. You know what I'm saying? Let me just, I don't have to think about that. I'll just, you know, 
to like, you know, food, drugs, alcohol, whatever it is. And that's because when we go through loss and grief, we lose control. We, we have no control over what's happened. There's a sense that our faith, and I was talking a little bit about this last week when I spoke about hitting that wall. There's a sense that our faith is not working the way we want it to work. It's not working the way we'd like it to work. And as Christians, sometimes, you know, even as being a pastor type person guy, you know, you, you, um, you think you've got, you know, people look at you and they expect you to have it all together. A strong Christian, you know, a strong Christian, you know, you don't experience this kind of stuff. That's a, a good Christian doesn't have to go through this. A good Christian, a strong Christian doesn't get hurt, doesn't get confused, doesn't get discouraged. You know, good, strong Christians don't ever fall down on their face. And so as a result, you know what happens so often is we end up kind of living a life of pretense on the outside, you know. How are you doing? How's it going? I, no, it's all good. Praise God. Hallelujah. I've got it all. God's good. Yay, yay. Amen. Amen. It's all okay. But on the inside, we're dying. We're hurt. We're, in, we're discouraged. We're in pain. And here in Matthew 26, here's Jesus on the ground grieving. God in the flesh, on the ground, emotionally overcome. Jesus essentially saying, I feel so bad I could just die. And so often we have a cup in front of us. There's, there's something in front of you or there's something that you're in and you're saying, I've had enough. I can't take it. I'm at my limit. I'm at my wit's end. I just, just take me already. I feel like I could just die. Any, okay, don't answer that question. Maybe it's just me. But this is exactly where Jesus is. And that's why I want to say to you this morning, that's why we, if we're going to be good, strong, healthy Christians, allowing God to do a work on the inside, we have permission to listen and to feel when those unasked for interruptions come into our life. And it's biblical to feel. Because Jesus models the depth of it right here for us. We don't have to pretend that we're all happy and everything is just great. You know, I got my superhero, Jesus, you know. We don't have to pretend. I mean, can you imagine Jesus going into the Garden of Gethsemane and speaking to the disciples and saying, hey guys, uh, I just need a this group huddle, just going to have to have a chat. Boys, it's just going to get tough for a little while. I just want to tell you, it's going to be, we're in for a tough time, you know. But don't worry, you know, Jesus is Lord, you know, I'm the king, you know, don't worry, you know. God's on the throne. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be bad, boys, but hang in there. The world's going to be saved. Can you imagine Jesus having that kind of conversation with the disciples? Can you imagine Jesus on the cross where he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you imagine Jesus rather saying, Victory, victory, victory is mine. I think sometimes our image of God gets a little bit warped. Because what we're reading about here is God Flat out, prostrate, on the ground, overwhelmed, in anguish, sweating drops of blood, depressed as a human being, not sinning, but wrestling with the will of God. Wrestling with God's will. And you know, the great thing about God is that He has revealed Himself in history, and we can look back and we can see how God's worked. But so often when we're in the middle of trouble, when we're in the middle of grief, when we're in the middle of loss, when we're in the middle of a circumstance... 
Very often we don't know what God's doing. God can be hidden. We don't understand. We're confused. Why do I have to experience this, God? Why do I have to go through this grief or this loss? And again, I, I want to say there's nothing wrong with allowing ourselves to feel the weight of that. You're not a bad Christian if, if you feel that. But if we're going to grow, and this is what I want to talk about here, if we're going to grow through this stuff because it happens in life, if we're going to enlarge the presence of God in our lives in those situations, we have to slow down and listen to that interruption. Not try and push it away, not try and deal with it in our own strength, not try and self-medicate it away. We actually have to slow down in that situation and say, God, what is your will? We actually have to face it head on and listen to God and listen to ourselves. We have to listen. And if you're going to listen, you've got to slow down and you've got to make room. I'm not saying that you don't have to feel anguished or, 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 or ask the questions, but that's part of that process of saying, God, I'm coming before you. And, and it is about will. And this is my second point here, learning to fall. Listening to the interruption of that grief and that loss and then learning to fall. Um, if we're going to grieve our loss um, or, and, and embrace that loss, it is like learning to fall. Because it goes against what's beamed at us every single day. Every single day, you turn the TV on, you look at your social media feed, whatever it is that you do, the new stuff. Everything that's marketed is always about bigger, better. It's about success. It's about happiness. That's what gets beamed at us every single day. But learning to fall is about a spirituality of descent. And I'm going to use the, the illustration here. It's like a descent to a cross and to a burial where God begins to do something which ultimately is going to lead to a resurrection if you let God engage in your life. Because it can be a place where you experience God in a deeper and new way. If you wait on Him, and, and if, like Jesus, you begin to say, Lord, I don't want it to go this way. I don't want it to go this way. I'm asking for another way. But Lord, if it's your will, then your will above my will. If it's your will, then I want it. And that's what learning to fall is all about because one of the big things that happens over here is that your self-will gets broken in this kind of circumstance like no other way. Your will gets broken. You know, a few weeks ago, I looked at a verse from Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. The writer of Hebrews says, talking about Jesus, it says that although he was a son, right? although he was the son of, son of God, Jesus, the writer says that he learned obedience through what he suffered. He learned obedience through what he suffered. I don't really like this verse. I, I don't, in fact, I don't like this verse. It's a hard verse. That although Jesus was the son of God, he learned, he had a, he had a, his obedience had to come through him suffering, he had to learn obedience through his suffering. And I know Jesus was God, fully God, but also he was fully human. And he wasn't an imaginary human being. And so he had to submit to God by conforming his will to God's will. 
He was fully human. He had to conform in his humanity, his will, to God's will. This is Jesus on the ground, overwhelmed because of the will of God, because of the power of God, because of the plan of God. And only after going through it three times did he come to the place of saying, yes, okay. Now, I know many of us, we read the story and we say, we read about what happened over here. We said, it was easy for Jesus. Come on, this is Jesus. This is God. Easy for him. Actually, it wasn't. It was not easy for him because he was like us, fully human. What he endured in his life was no different to what we endure in his full humanity. And in his humanness, Jesus was struggling to say yes to the Father. Because just as God has given you a free choice, a freedom to make your own decisions, so too did the Father give that to the Son. He had a free choice. So this was not easy for Jesus. This was not an automatic obedience to the will of God. Oh, yes, yes, automatic, yes, just switch into that gear, I'll do it. No, no, that's why Hebrews 5, 8 says that, that although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And so if Jesus had to learn obedience through his sufferings, what's the likelihood that we might have to learn obedience in the same way? Jesus wasn't pretending when he went before the Father. He asked him three times, if it's possible, please, if there's another way, is there another option? Do I have to do this? Do I have to go through this? But he was able, and this is the main thing, he was able to say, I want your will. I want your will. I want what you want. Your will be done. I don't know about you, but that is not an easy prayer to pray. Your will be done. Jesus was struggling. He, he didn't just automatically obey, and, and, and nor do we. And so a struggled, learned obedience, a prayed through obedience, really becomes a true obedience. It's a struggle when it comes out of that suffering, when it comes out of that grief that is in there. And it's a process when we seek God to begin to do that work on the inside. It, it is a process of our will being broken. And when you let go of what you want, when you let go of your own will, you begin to fall. And it's difficult. But as we do that, we, being, we open up and say, God, I just want to embrace what you want to do because it's not my will, it's about your will. And we come to that place of letting go. And so, you know what? I don't have to control the situation. I don't have to control the people who are involved. I don't have to control the circumstances because, God, I'm seeking your will in this. You know what happens? The sad thing is that when we go through a loss and the grief comes, and you know what happens so often in our lives? We want to get up and we want to start doing it ourselves. We want to, I'll fix that up. Don't worry, I've got a plan. I'm going to do, I'm going to do this, this, and that, and, 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 and I'm, going to, I'm going to get it all, all, you know. And God is trying to get through to us, and we're not stopping to allow God to begin to work in the in here. Because we want to do it. And so God's coming and going, I want to, I want to, and we're going, God, get out, get out the way. Please just get out the way. I've got a plan. And what God is really wanting to do is, is, is He's wanting to remove stuff from our lives that can't be removed in any other way except through going through that suffering and that grieving and that loss. But you know, if we surrender and we say, God, you have your way. 
the things that we were holding on to that we thought were so important, the things that gave us meaning, you know, um, what people think, what people say, whatever it is that we're attached to that's not healthy in our life, when we let go of that, then it, then it opens up a space in our lives where God can come and begin to do a work on the inside. There's a space in your soul for God to fill. And through that, when God begins to do a deep work within you, that's when freedom comes. That's when release comes. And very often when you see people who've been through a terrible, traumatic time in life where there's been a traumatic loss and there's been traumatic and, and painful and horrible grief and they come out of that and they've opened up their lives to God, they begin to see life in a completely different way. They have a very different perspective on life. And it's not that you get rid of the pain. You absorb the pain. You see, as you go through grief, as you go through your life and you experience these things, the pain doesn't just go away. You absorb the pain. That pain becomes part of who you are, and you are always going to carry that pain. But as you surrender that to God, as you fall and you say, Lord, it's not my will, it's your will, that, that's allowing God to begin to move, and that's going to transform you. That's going to enlarge you. And you know, what's, you know what happens? Because I've seen this in so many people's lives. They become a gift to the world around them. The Lord makes your heart tender. The Lord makes you more compassionate. The Lord makes you more loving. You learn about being dependent on the Lord because in the loss and in the grieving, you've got nowhere else to go. Your dependency is completely on God. Jesus was in his prayer to the Father. His strength did not come from his own willpower. It, became because, it came because of his dependence on God, his dependence on the Father. And God's invitation to us is through these times of grief and loss in life is to detach from trying to control everything and to slow down and to begin to hear his voice, the voice of the one who loves us, the voice of the one who has come to give us life. But letting go involves listening when those interruptions come. It involves learning to fall. It, it involves learning obedience and saying, God, God, not my will, but your will. I want to be obedient to you. I think something happens in our will when, when we allow God to work in our suffering. Something happens like no, in no other circumstance or way. And when we allow God to move and we surrender our will and we say, God, your will be done, that's when we begin to come to a place of resurrection. Resurrection. God begins to bring life. And, and, and I, I, don't, I don't know how resurrection works. It's like the loaves and the fishes. When Jesus multiplies them, he just does it. I, I don't know how that works. And so I don't know what resurrection would look like in, a, in, 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 in your life. I don't know how God works these miracles, but he does. But here's what the scripture says in John 12, 24. Jesus says this. He says, truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it's going to remain just a single grain. It's just going to be a grain of wheat. But if it falls into the earth and it dies, it's going to bear fruit. It's going to bear much fruit. And so sometimes things have to die or else nothing is going to change. And that's why for some of us, going through grief and going through loss can be something positive. God can do something good. He can bring good out of it. And yes, it's horrible. Yes, you'll be overwhelmed. Yes, you may be at your limit. Yes, you might feel like you want to die. But God knows what's to come. 
and he will bring light. He will bring a resurrection in some way. But before that resurrection comes, there's got to be a burial. There's got to be a waiting, and then there's that transition. And if you let that thing go, if it dies, and it's your choice as to whether you're going to hold on to it or whether you're going to let it go, if you let it go it, and it dies, it's going to land up producing many seeds. That grief and that loss that you've gone through can enlarge you on the inside, your soul. You can have a greater level of compassion. You will have a deeper level of wisdom and maturity. And then you're going to be the person that other people run to in their pain because they know that you've been there. You're seasoned. You're mature. God's grown you. You've been changed. And when somebody else goes through it, you allow God to use you to be a blessing because of what you've done and God's resurrected you, you can begin to help other people. And that's what we're supposed to be doing as a church. And I just want to say this morning, my, my invitation to you when this happens, because it will, and many of you have been through it, my, my, my encouragement is to persevere, is to stay with God when you want to give up. Job had to wait. David had to wait. Abraham had to wait. Moses had to wait. Jeremiah had to wait. Jesus was waiting on the ground in the Garden of Gethsemane, crying out to the Father. And I don't know what's going on in your world or how you see this, but I just want to say this morning, what's scary to me is, um, and probably what should scare you, is a heart that, that is hard, a hardened heart. There's nothing worse, Jesus says, nothing worse than a hardened heart. Nothing scarier than that. And you know, when we talk about this kind of stuff, so often people will sit back and say, oh, yeah, 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 I've heard this all before. I've heard it, you know, been there, done that, had the message. No. And they don't allow God to do a work. They don't allow the message to penetrate. And I just want to say there's nothing scarier than a hardened heart. What, what we want to do is we want to invite, when that stuff happens, that unexpected stuff, we want to invite that loss and that grief into our life and we want to say, God, you come and do a work. Your will be done. Let my heart become soft. Let my heart become malleable. Let, let me be open to what you want to do, Lord. Because that's what God will do. God's never going to not make use of any circumstance. He will make use of your pain and your sorrow and your grief to teach you if you let him. And then you can become a gift to others. I've got a poem that I want you to hear, and then we're going to close with a song this morning. So Anchorette's going to come, and I want to just ask you to remain silent for a bit and just listen to what the words of this poem are. This poem is written by Pierre Tilliard de Chardon, and its title is Patient Trust. <clears throat> Above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown and something new. And yet it is the law of all progress that it is made by passing through some stages of instability and that it may take a very long time. And so I think it is with you. Your ideas mature gradually. Let them grow. 
Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force them on, as though you could be today what time, and that is to say grace and circumstances acting on your own goodwill, will make of you tomorrow. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you. And accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete.